This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Ah, yes, it has been a while, but we are back here on MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. We have a lot to catch you up on, so let's get right into it. We're talking first about Trevor Bauer to the L.A. Dodgers. The marquee free agent of this past offseason has finally found a new home. Trevor Bauer signed a three-year, $102 million contract with the L.A. Dodgers late last week. This is a very unique contract because it is a series of one-year contracts. Let me explain. He is making $40 million in 2021, $45 million in 2022, and $27 million in 2023. The reason why I say it's a series of one-year contracts is that he can opt out of his deal after every year. So he's going to make $40 million this upcoming year. He can opt out if he wants. He'll make $45 million in 2022. He can opt out if he wants. And then he's an unrestricted free agent after 2023. I don't know why he would opt out after 2021 or 2022 unless he thought he could get that same value on a new contract. When Garrett Cole signed his nine-year, $324 million contract last year, I thought, wow, nobody is ever going to get that type of contract again. And Trevor Bauer is somebody that has a career ERA of 3.9. Yes, he had a great 2020 season, but it was a very short season. Bauer pitched 73 innings and had 100 strikeouts. He went 5-4 with a 1.73 ERA. By far the best ERA of his career, but not a figure that is relatively sustainable over the course of 150 to 200 innings. Trevor Bauer was the best starting pitcher available, but he's not a guy that's worth $40 million a year, let alone $45 million a year. But the LA Dodgers are a team that can basically do whatever they want and have no repercussions with their money. So they're going to have a starting rotation that includes him, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Buehler, David Price, Julio Urias, Dustin May, to name a few of the candidates that are going to end up rounding out their five. Also can't forget Tony Gonsolin as well. They paid a lot of money for Trevor Bauer, more than he's probably worth, but they can afford to pay Trevor Bauer that type of money, and they didn't give him a long-term contract. One of the things that makes this contract interesting is that most teams are going to pay players for a longer period of time. The Dodgers decided to pay him more money up front and not pay him as long, meaning they are basically trying to win in the next three years. They are setting up to win this upcoming year, the year after, and the year after that because that's where they've sunk their money into. Clayton Kershaw isn't getting any younger. Four years from now, your starting rotation, or at least four-fifths of it, could be Walker Buehler, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin, and Dustin May. 
and a fifth guy that probably hasn't made his major league debut yet, but throws 95 to 100 miles an hour and is an absolute rock star because that's what the Dodgers develop in their minor league system. The Dodgers figure they can win now with a mix of veterans and young guns, and that's what they're trying to do. That's why they felt like they could give Trevor Bauer the type of money that he got because the type of season that he put up last year in Cincinnati is what they're paying for. They're not paying for the Trevor Bauer who had an ERA over six when he got traded from Cleveland to Cincy in 2019. They're not paying for the guy that had an ERA over four multiple times when he was with Cleveland. Trevor Bauer, other than 2018 and 2020, has never had an ERA below four in a single season. In 2018, which was by far his best year in Cleveland, he went 12-6 with a 2.21 ERA. This past year, a 1.73 ERA. Every other year in the majors, he never had an earned run average below four. That's a guy that's worth $40 million a year? The guy that pitched the way he did in 2020 might be. I don't believe there's any pitcher out there that's worth over $40 million a year. If a starting pitcher, let's just look at Trevor Bauer's starts. Trevor Bauer's most starts in a season is 34, and that came in 2019, split between Cleveland and Cincinnati. You are going to pay him over $1 million a start. And there are starts that go really badly. No starting pitcher is worth over $1 million a start. The thing, though, is the average annual value of this contract comes out to about $34 million a year. Still too much for a starting pitcher, but not as much as Garrett Cole made. The thing is, with the way that Bauer structured the contract, it is effectively a one-year $40 million contract or a two-year $85 million contract, and if he wants to wait it out to the third year, it can be a three-year $102 million contract. The thing, though, with Bauer is that he has such a high opinion of himself and such an overinflated ego that he thinks if he opts out of that contract after the second year, he's going to get $40 million a year again. I'm sorry, he'll be 32 years old then? There is no chance on God's green earth that he is going to get an average annual value of $40 million. On a two-year contract, he's getting that, but not on a three-year contract. There is no way at age 32 that somebody is going to sign him to a five-year contract worth $40 million a year. If Clayton Kershaw isn't worth that, if Garrett Cole isn't worth that, if Justin Verlander was never worth that, then I'm sorry, Trevor frickin' Bauer is nowhere close to being worth that. The richest starting pitcher in baseball has one full season, I'm not counting 2020, one full season with an ERA below four. That is not a guy worth $40 million. But you know what? That's the Dodgers' problem. They can do whatever they want, and they just invested $40 million a year into an egomaniacal headache. Before we move on to our next topic of discussion, there is one other piece to this story that we have not yet discussed, and that is involving our good buddy, Bob Nightingale. Yes, Bob Nightingale tweeted out the day before Bauer signed with the Dodgers that he and the Mets had a deal. Now, two other baseball reporters, Mark Feinsand and Robert Murray, 
both tweeted about five minutes after the Nightingale tweet that there was no deal between the Mets and Trevor Bauer's camp. Bob Nightingale continues to make things up and get things wrong. And he finally, a few days after, apologized to Mets fans for sending out an erroneous tweet and that there were no excuses for it. Hey, Bob, when you keep sinking the ship and will continue to sink the ship, a life preserver does nobody any good. I actually think, and I know that we get on him a lot on this show, and deservedly so, I think that nationally Bob Nightingale's credibility has come into question for really the first time. I know it's always been in question on Twitter, but I think as a national baseball reporter, getting things wrong, he got two major signings wrong this offseason. Michael Brantley to the Blue Jays, which didn't happen. Trevor Bauer to the Mets, which didn't happen. Oh, and by the way, and I know we talked about this on a prior episode, Carlos Rodon, the former White Sox closer, returning to the White Sox when he had zero career saves. I know we make fun of him a lot, but Bob Nightingale, you need to come out and write something about why you are constantly wrong and why you continue to just make bold claims that you state as fact, yet have no substance behind them. Let's just put it this way. Right now, things for you are... Not great, Bob. The Atlanta Braves brought back Marcelo Zuna on a four-year, $65 million contract. Ozuna finished sixth in MVP voting this past season, hitting 18 homers and driving in 56 runs over all 60 games. He hit 338 with a 431 on base and a 1067 OPS, the best OPS of his career, the best batting average of his career, the best on base percentage of his career, and by the way, 56 RBI in 60 games. He was on pace for almost 155 runs batted in over the course of a full 162. Marcelo Zuna had a fantastic year. The question was, with no guarantee of a DH in the National League, would the Braves' primary DH from last season be willing to come back and have to play the field? The answer to that question was a clear yes. Ozuna has played in the National League his entire career, but really found his footing as a DH and put up his best offensive year to date. Now, you could argue that his last year in Miami, he had just as good, if not a better year, just because it was a full year, 37 homers, 124 RBI, 312 batting average, but the OPS was at 924. This OPS was over 100 points higher. You have an OPS of 1067, you are doing something really right. It was a no-brainer for the Braves to bring him back. It's just a matter of whether or not he is going to be a defensive liability. Marcelo Zuna, well, he is not as young as he used to be. He turned 30 in November, so this contract will take him through age 34. There was a club option for a fifth year, which would bring the contract to an $80 million total. A really good deal for the Atlanta Braves to bring back one of the best hitters in baseball from last year. In what was a rare divisional trade on Saturday, the Oakland A's sent Chris Davis to the Texas Rangers for shortstop Elvis Andrews. This was a very confusing trade when I first saw it cross, but then it made sense to me. Let's start first with Oakland. 
They get a shortstop to replace the one that just departed in Marcus Simeon, and they get a Major League veteran shortstop. The reason why the A's picked up Elvis Andrus is twofold. Number one, they didn't want to pay Marcus Simeon the same type of contract that the Blue Jays paid him. But number two, they didn't want to have to turn to somebody that wasn't ready to help them win now. Elvis Andrus, albeit making $15 million a year, is making less money than Marcus Simeon, and he's only under contract for two more years. Simeon signed a one-year deal with the Blue Jays as a prove-it contract to earn something bigger in next year's offseason. My guess is if he had gone back to Oakland, he would have wanted at minimum a four-year contract, and the A's weren't going to do that for him because the A's don't do that for anybody. So they pick up somebody in Elvis Andrews who, albeit making $15 million a year, you only have under contract for two years. The A's are willing to go into eight figures on a yearly salary if it's on a short-term contract. See Ben Sheets over 10 years ago. But now they have somebody that can help them win now and fill the void left by Simeon. The question is whether or not Elvis Andrews is going to be the Elvis Andrews of two years ago or the Elvis Andrews of this past year. This past year, he dealt with injuries and hit just 194 over 29 games. The year before that, he hit 275 with 12 homers and 72 runs batted in. His best year power-wise came in 2017, where he hit 297 with a career-high 20 homers and a career-best 88 RBI. Elvis Andrews, from a power perspective, is not Marcus Simeon, but he is still a very capable Major League shortstop and thus the best short-term solution the A's could find at shortstop. As for Chris Davis, he's a free agent after the 2021 season, and from the Rangers' perspective, better to eat one year of Chris Davis than to continue to eat two years of Elvis Andrus. By the way, Andrus has a vesting option for the 2023 season. Do not know what the terms and conditions of that vesting option are. But Chris Davis, the poor guy, has just quite frankly fallen off a cliff. After hitting over 40 homers in his first three years with Oakland, he hit just 23 in 2019, which he had a struggle to begin the year, but he still played 133 games, and he hit only 220, which was down from his consistent 247 that he hit for four straight years, spanning from his last year with the Brewers to his third year with the A's. Last year, he got off to a horrendous start and really never got going. He had an even 200, had just 85 at-bats, two homers, and 10 runs batted in. Chris Davis is 33 years old, and I didn't realize that Chris Davis was 33 years old, but Chris Davis has taken a deep decline in the last two years. Can he find his power stroke again, or is he doomed to be the guy that is going to end up as a 20-homer, 220 hitter, which he was in 2019. I like Chris Davis, and I certainly hope that he finds his way back to the top of the home run mountain in 2021. He is too exciting of a player to see decline in the way that he did. But for the Rangers, it's a lot better to pay a declining Chris Davis when you know you're not going to compete than to pay Elvis Andrews one more year than you have to. The Milwaukee Brewers finally made some noise this offseason, signing Colton Wong to a two-year, $18 million contract. 
The two-time Gold Glove second baseman is a career Cardinal spending all eight years in St. Louis. His best year offensively came two years ago when he hit 285 with 11 homers and 59 RBI over 148 games, even garnering some MVP votes. He finished third in the Rookie of the Year voting in 2014. He still classified as a rookie in 2014, even though he played 32 games in 2013. This is the first time that Colton Wong has hit unrestricted free agency, and thus now he goes up north to Milwaukee, where he will fill the shoes of Keston Hiura, who is making the move over to first base. The Brewers got a little bit better by signing Colton Wong. I'm not sure he was worth $9 million a year, but he's going to face his former club 19 times per season, so we'll see if the divisional knowledge helps out Milwaukee in the short term. The St. Louis Cardinals last Thursday traded Dexter Fowler to the Los Angeles Angels for a player to be named later or cash considerations. Fowler is entering the last year of a five-year, $82 million contract he signed with St. Louis prior to the 2017 season. With the trade, he is reunited with his former manager, Joe Madden, who managed him in Chicago in 2015 and 2016. Fowler had one of his best years in Chicago in 2016, earning him the big payday with St. Louis. His numbers in a Cardinals uniform, though, were substandard to be kind. He only played more than 120 games once in a season, often battling injuries in 2018 and in 2020. In 2017, he hit 264 with 18 homers and 64 RBI, and in 2019, his most games ever played in a Cardinal uniform, played 150 that year. He hit 238, but had a 346 on base percentage, 19 homers, and 67 RBI. Dexter Fowler is a guy that's going to hit in the range of 250 to 280 when he's right, but he never was really right in St. Louis. He hit 264 his first year, but he never hit above 240 in each of his final three years. Fowler is getting up there in age. He turns 35 this upcoming March. Probably a good plan to ship off his salary, get what you can for him, and see if he can help the Angels be competitive in 2021. One of the all-time good guys in baseball, it looks more and more like Dexter Fowler is closer to retirement than he is playing into his late 30s. I hope that Fowler has a good year, but I don't see him playing much past this year. Maybe somebody gives him a one-year flyer in 2022 to see if he has anything left, but I think we're seeing Dexter Fowler enter the twilight of his career. In sticking with Cardinals news, Yadier Molina re-upped on a one-year deal late last night. Terms of the deal have not yet been agreed to, but some reports have said that it's for one year and $4.5 million. Yadier Molina made his Major League debut in 2004 and has played every season of his 17-year career with the Redbirds. Molina last year in 42 games hit 262 with four homers and 16 RBI. Yadier has had a really solid last couple of years offensively, even though he is well into his late 30s. In 2018, he hit 261 with 20 homers and 74 RBI. Yadier Molina is well into the twilight of his career, and he can't catch more than 130 games anymore, let alone 120. 
It's clear at this point that a succession plan has to be put in place for Yadier Molina, but for now, his value to the organization is unquestioned, and he will spend at least one more year wearing the red and white. By the way, Yadier Molina, a nine-time All-Star, a nine-time Gold Glover, a four-time Platinum Glover, a two-time World Series champ, and he has one Silver Slugger Award, which came in 2013 when he hit 319 with 12 homers and 80 RBI, posting a 359 on base percentage in 136 games. He also won the Gold Glove that year and finished third in MVP voting. The Cincinnati Reds, fresh off losing Trevor Bauer, signed D. Strange Gordon and Sean Doolittle to contracts yesterday. Gordon, who spent the last three years with the Mariners, played in just 33 games last season, hitting an even 200 with three RBI and just three stolen bases. When the Mariners traded for Gordon after the 2017 season, they tried to put him in the outfield and that didn't really work. His best season in Seattle came in 2019, where in 117 games, he hit 275 with 34 RBI and 22 stolen bases. He had a lower batting average in 2018. He hit 268 that season. He had more steals with 30, but his on-base percentage was lower relative to his batting average. He had a 305 on-base percentage with a 275 average in 2019. He had just a 288 on-base percentage with his 268 batting average in 2018. Now let's move on to Sean Doolittle, who really had a rough year in 2020. Doolittle made just 11 appearances, pitching a grand total of seven and two-thirds innings, allowing three earned runs on nine hits, allowing three home runs. Doolittle was never really himself. He was on the fence about playing at all in 2020 due to COVID-19 and was the guy quoted as saying, sports are the reward for a functioning society and society was not functioning at that time. You can make the argument that society is still not functioning right now, but that is up to your interpretation. In the Nationals' championship season of 2019, Doolittle had a 4.05 ERA over 60 innings with 29 saves. The year before that, he made his second All-Star team, posting a 1.6 ERA over 43 appearances spanning 45 innings with 25 saves. Doolittle has a career ERA of 3.07 in nine Major League seasons. He made his debut with the Oakland A's in 2012 and spent the first five and a half years of his career there before being traded to Washington in the middle of the 2017 season. Sean Doolittle is one of my favorite baseball players of all time. He's got a great personality, and he is not afraid to go after you if you deserve it. I hope that Dew has a bounce-back year in Cincinnati because he certainly deserves it. The day that we recorded our last episode, that night, the Mickey Calloway story came out. The former Mets manager and current Angels pitching coach was accused by five women of inappropriate behavior while he was the manager of the New York Mets. Calloway was suspended by the Angels, but at this point, he has not yet been fired. And I don't understand why that has not been the case yet, because he sent shirtless photos to five different women while he was the manager of the New York Mets and while he was the pitching coach for the Cleveland Indians. Mickey Calloway has a disturbing pattern of behavior and the fact that a week later 
he is still employed by the LA Angels is despicable. Why the organization didn't take swifter action is beyond me. Maybe they're waiting for an investigation to play out, but to me, there's nothing to investigate. All of the reporters did their due diligence in this story. It would not have been released if there was not intrepid reporting behind it. That's the investigation. That's all you need to kick this guy to the curb and never have him work in a Major League Baseball clubhouse ever again. And the thing that bothers me so much about this is that we just went through this with the Jared Porter story. So why, less than two weeks later, are we dealing with the same story again? The Mets fired Jared Porter right away. And also, it is worth noting that another scandalous incident has come under the guise of somebody working with the Mets. Now, Jared Porter's lewd behavior was not as a member of the Mets organization, rather as a member of the Cubs. And no, I am not trying to make a link between Joe Madden, Jared Porter, and Mickey Calloway. But at this point, a week after the story breaking, we need to know why more action has not been taken against Callaway by the Angels. They can fire him for cause just like that. So just do it already and save everybody the headache of having to question you for the rest of this offseason or potentially into the regular season. I don't want to end the show on a somber note, but we do have to bring this up. Pedro Gomez, the longtime ESPN baseball reporter, died unexpectedly at his home yesterday at the age of 58. Gomez was admired by his colleagues, his peers, and those that followed his work, one of the most respected baseball journalists of my lifetime. I'm sad that I never got a chance to meet him, but I know people that have had a chance to meet him, and they all said that he was an outgoing person that cherished his work and admired those that followed in his career footsteps. Rest in peace, Pedro Gomez. Finally, Major League Baseball and the Players Association agreed that seven-inning doubleheaders and a runner starting on second base to start the 10th inning would stay in place for the 2021 season under a new health protocols agreement. Expanded playoffs in the Universal DH have not yet come to the table, but at least for now we can guarantee that there will be seven inning doubleheaders and a runner on second to start extra innings. My guess is, is that with COVID still being an issue moving into this season, players don't want to be at the facility longer than they have to, which is why they want to shorten the time of games. That's all that these two rules are seeking to do. It's seeking to reduce the length of doubleheaders, meaning you take out the variables of players hanging around even longer, and at least with the runner on second, you can end games quicker, although a lot of teams still weren't able to end games in the 10th inning. Some games went to the 13th inning last year because players don't know how to bunt. Yes, Major League Baseball players don't know how to bunt, don't want to bunt. I don't understand why Major League Baseball players are so averse to bunting, but I personally feel like bunting should always be a part of the game, and under that rule, you bunt, you win. You bunt, you score runs. It's that simple, ladies and gentlemen. And on that note, we are going to say goodbye. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios. 
Have a great rest of your day, everybody, and we will catch you next time.